Now I want to talk about Silm Film, the Silmarillion Film Project. Okay. Welcome, guys. Good evening, Corey. Good evening. Okay, here we go. There's Marie. So you guys want to... Are you guys webcamable? We've got Trish and Nick and Dave here with me. Also, I'm going to be the disembodied voice because if I tried to put my video up, I think my internet would have a coronary. Right. No problem. Yeah, that is it is hard sometimes. We don't want to we don't want to slow your internet down uh, too much. Apparently, I'm going to be horribly backlit. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Nick, are you uh, are you webcamable, Nick? I know you were maybe dealing with a shaky internet connection tonight too. Nick, your microphone is showing is self-muted. Yeah, yeah. So if you're talking, just oh, there yeah, we go. might be a problem. There okay. we go. Excellent. Okay. So anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm on the road, but uh, the internet connection issue was solved, but not the uh, machine to actually webcam from. <laughs> I see. From right. Okay. Right. So yeah, we caught Nick traveling. Okay. So all right. So we will we will stick with this then. Very good. Very good. So we'll get you two. We'll get you. Trish. Good to hear your voice again. We've been missing you our last two sessions on 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 film film. We're sorry oh, you haven't been I able know. to make it's it. It's been such a bummer. I, like I said when I in my last one yesterday when I said I couldn't make it, I said I said at least this is a really long running show. So <laughs> yes. Missing two, missing two in a row is like not even going to be a big deal. <laughs> it'll be it'll be a very small you know, percentage at the end of the day. You know, the good news is that um, that you. The, we still haven't managed to actually get to episode three. Yeah, you I still haven't that. missed I episode three. We've been also quite behind. Uh, we haven't actually done anything since episode one. So There you go. Oh, there you go. So see, you're right on pace. You're right on pace. That's yep. great. Yeah, it's, uh, you know. It's shades of Silmarillion seminar and the uh, and the one more week. One more week. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, the the Silmarillion film project has been, as I think, uh, one of the most. No, it's really the most unusual and unorthodox of all of the Mythgard programs. You know, most of the rest of the stuff that I'm doing is fairly simple, right? It's. Uh, Fundamentally, it's just like let's let's just talk about the books uh, in a like some kind of comparatively straightforward way. Um, even my Lotro streams are kind of like that. It's just when I'm doing the Lotro streams, it's like let's just focus the discussion of Tolkien's books on you know the the interaction with the Lotro world that I happen to be in uh, at that point. Silmarillion film project is different, uh, and uh, I have been. Ever since we thought of the origin, the 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 concept of the Silmarillion film project, I've been really really excited about it. Uh, and this started really back in uh, Riddles in the Dark uh, when we were talking about the the Hobbit films, right, Dave? So essentially, yep. Silm film is just us taking matters into our own hands, essentially, right? Yep. Uh, Being more proactive this time. More proactive, exactly, because we spent so much time thinking about the kind of adaptation challenges that Peter Jackson was fa- facing in making the Hobbit movies and, and, you know, the kinds of things that we hoped he did or we thought he might do or whatever, sort of speculating both about what we thought would be awesome and about what uh, we thought he would actually do. 
and of course, the reality fell so far so far short of our own vision for what the Hobbit films could have been that we just decided to uh, uh, to just kind of cut that out of the way and do it ourselves. Yes, that well, was film, the... film, film was actually uh, our answer to Peter Jackson's unsaid question of, so do you think you can do it better yourself? <laughs> then you try. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was always the frustrating part about Riddles in the Dark was the, um, were the constraints and the, uh, the, both the constraints and the dissatisfaction of reality failing to deliver on our vision. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and it's worth, it's worth noting that, um, that during the course of for, for those for people who are watching this who didn't get a chance to listen to Riddles in the Dark, um, it, it, this isn't sort of the typical Tolkien fan like you know oh we're we're just snottily turning our noses up because Peter Jackson refused to directly adapt the book in a faithful manner the way we think blah 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 blah. We actually during during the course of Riddles in the Dark we got we were we bought into the idea of totally. adaptation and yeah. like making changes right. to that were better suited to the medium. We were totally down with it. So our frustration was not the usual, like, you know, oh, I don't, I don't like what they did to Aragorn's character type uh, mm-hmm. frustration. Rather, it was like we had this, this great picture in our, our mind of how interesting The Hobbit could be once adapted to the screen. And, and then the, the, actual, the actual adaptation turned out to be way less interesting than we thought it could be. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and, of course... After The Hobbit, everybody's talking about The Silmarillion, right? Like, okay, so Peter Jackson, when are you going to do The Silmarillion? Of course, to which the answer is, which even Peter Jackson is too polite to give, uh, you know, not not until Christopher Tolkien is dead. (laughs) So that's, you know, while Christopher Tolkien draws breath, that's not going to happen. Which is fine. 75 years, we hope. Yeah, exactly. Long life to Christopher Tolkien. But... um, yeah, so so the, the the fundamental concept of the Silmarillion film project is like with Riddles of the Dark again. You know, as as Dave said, the way we went through, we were trying to, we were doing neither of the two things that often a, like a Tolkien podcast talking about the Hobbit films might have done. Right, we were neither. Um, you know, as as Dave said, being sort of snootily intellectual and looking down upon their enterprise, nor were we just like, you know, being movie fans and talking about like like what is Richard Armitage doing and how dreamy is he? You know, we were, so we were neither just like sort of getting excited about the films for the sake of being excited about the films. And I know, sorry, Maria, I, I was perhaps a little close that. to home there. <laughs> the point is, the point is, you know, we were trying to engage with it, um, you know, sort of accepting it for what it was and, and, and thinking it through and thinking through what are the challenges, like approaching the story ourselves and saying, given what happens in The Hobbit and its relationship with The Lord of the Rings, what's going to be interesting? What's going to be challenging about these decisions that they make? Uh, anyway, so we... Um, uh, we decided to just move ahead and start our own Silmarillion adaptation, mostly because we were so confident that it could never possibly be made. So that makes it safe, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and we, we, we figured that even if we went slowly, we wouldn't ha- so long as Christopher Tolkien remains in good health, we would not have to worry about any actualization overtaking our f- purely theoretical enterprise. Uh, so we started this project saying, let's think through the Silmarillion. Our fundamental premise was... Obviously, we're not going to do 
a film adaptation, like a, a feature film adaptation, because the Silmarillion as a story type is just very poorly adapted to that kind of thing. That would be silly. There are some stories that would work well as feature films. Baron and Luthien could make a great feature film. Turin Turambar would make a very depressing but very good feature film, uh, if done well. Um, but... Uh, Silmarillion as a whole, not really so much. So we decided, let's do this as a as a long running uh, TV show. So let's do this like Game of Thrones style, essentially, though uh, with less nudity. So uh, we were like, okay, so that's that that that's what and, we're gonna do, and, and way less incest. Yes, yes. Incest, but way more death. <laughs> right, way more right. death. Why, I don't. Man, yes. Uh, uh, well, at least rivaling the 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 the, <laughs> the death. Also Anyways, more geography. <laughs> more geography. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I still, uh, uh, you know, of course, one, one of our jokes is that season four is going to be, like, more than half of season four is going to be the dramatic interpretation of, of Bolarian and its realms, um, which is going to be an awesome season. One of these days you're going to notice that season four does cover almost 500 years of history. <laughs> I know, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, there's going to be which, plenty. Which is why some of us are trying to put, push for all of the season four to be up Valerian. Up Valerian in its realms. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have to split that up. We can't possibly uh, rush our way through up Valerian in its realms as fast as that. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, no, no, no. So, Brandon, we're not talking about an episode. Based on a Blair and its realms, we're talking about like eight episodes oh, or ten season. episodes, possibly an entire thirteen-episode season uh, on of Blairian and its realms. Um, so, like, what's the point of this, right? Why do we do this? What do we take from doing this? And you know, the 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 thing that has been just remarkable to me is as you start thinking through adaptation, as you begin thinking about storytelling within the frame of what, you know, given what we get in the Silmarillion and thinking as we've often done, you know, comparing, bringing stuff in from like the Book of Lost Tales and other places, you know, sometimes we choose elements from those that we really want to keep or bring back that Tolkien took out. Um, In thinking these things through, what are some things that we see? There are so many places where the story... um, it, it challenges us to think about the story in new ways that we, you know, just really never thought before. Um, uh, and uh, th- for me, that's the the been the, I have learned so much about the Silmarillion. Um, you know, the Silmarillion seminar will always be, you know, in the Hall of Fame of, uh, you know, the the stuff that I've done, and and certainly one of the most experiences of my life, really. But. I think I've learned more about the Silmarillion from the Silmarillion film project so far than I did uh, in the Silmarillion seminar, um, because it forces us to invest imaginatively. The, the tone of the Silmarillion, right, it's so distant so much of the time. It gives most of the Silmarillion is giving a pretty broad overview of what happened. Sometimes we get in and we get to like to, you know, close up to really compelling stories. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's still even when it's far away, it's still very powerful, um, you know, very powerful invocation of mythic ideas um, that are very moving to think about. But when you're actually thinking about, you know, the act sort of coming in down alongside the character, what are they, what are these people like? You know, and asking these questions forces us to, to sort of recognize, goodness, 
I don't know anything about half of these people. You know, we don't we don't know what they did or or what they said. There's so much that we don't know, um, and that has been really interesting to sort of discover and think about the situations that uh, Tolkien described and and uh, you know what he sort of actually suggested. I think it's been uh, it's been an amazing experience. I'd love to hear from you guys. What what are some moments that uh, uh, that have really jumped out at you? Places where you really sort of learned a lot or felt like you had your eyes opened about something from the Silmarillion story and in, in the discussions we've been having. I thought I'd let Marie or Nick go first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I personally enjoy having the opportunity to talk about the Silmarillion with anybody ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's always great. But as far as particular uh, parts of the adaptation, um, I never really had a good sense of the geography of Valinor, like what's where, mm-hmm. um, and how that impacted the story until yeah. we had to actually make things happen in different places in Valinor in season two. Yes. And then I had to figure out that, you know, Valmar is the city on the plane, so it's, you know, a flat city. Right. <laughs> That's going to matter as to how you envision it and what it looks like different than... Um, you know, the uh, mountain to Nequitel, obviously very, totally different mm-hmm. uh, geography to it. Yeah. And what you can see from different places, like how do you see the trees and, and if you're not right next to them? You know, if you're at Formanos, is it darker there? Does it look different? Um, Tyrion, right. like did all the windows face towards the trees because that's where the light is. You know, just things like that that I hadn't really ever thought about just reading the story. Um, but when you try to make events happen in characters experiencing it you have to kind of place it a little bit more yes solidly i guess yeah yeah yeah, I mean, a lot of these things are, like, uh, you know, Marie, many of the issues that you're describing right there are issues that visual artists grapple with, right, when they try to depict these things. Um, but it's so easy to just kind of read over it, right? You just kind of accept the fact, like, okay, you know, the tree is illumined, Valinor, great, okay? And then you just kind of move on without really thinking about what would it have been like to live in Valmar? What what was that experience? What must that have looked like? Um, yeah, yeah, cool. Other thoughts? Nick, Trish, Dave? Well, for me, um, some of the most amazing things has been delving into the individual characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because we have to show them, we have to show how they get to where they are mm-hmm. at any given moment. You know, you have to show the changes in the way that a person thinks when they move from point A to point B personality wise mm-hmm. and I think that uh, the Fingolfin for all the conflict that arose over that I think that the character of Fingolfin was a good study of that yeah. because the very first thing that Tolkien says about Fingolfin as a person is that he's proud you know he lumps him right in there with Feanor it's in the same sentence and I had never really picked up on that until we were, you know, we were, and here I was fighting to maintain the glorious image of Fingolfin, right? <laughs> and, and then I realized, no, wait, this is a flawed guy right there in the text, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe we don't need to have this, you know, simpering younger son figure, but we can certainly address the fact that he's got his own issues 
and right. some of them and, and part of the problem is that he and Feanor are quite a lot alike right right yeah yeah no there have been a bunch of things uh, a bunch of moments like that a bunch of times when um, characters even characters like Fingolfin that you think you know right when you're really paying it like what does it say about them what kinds of situations are they put in even just again those times when the this sort of overall like distant from the events plot summary thing that he does in the Silmarillion, which just tells us that this thing happened, right? But you can kind of accept that as an event, right? Even think about that, you know, and kind of feel the significance of it from a mythic standpoint without really bringing yourself down and imagining what must it have been like? What does it say about this guy, you know, that he did this and said this? How would that actually have worked? Um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's very interesting to think about. Trish, how about you? Oh, sorry. Well. Yeah, you want to second that one as well? Yeah, yeah, that's one of the ones I was thinking about. That that um, uh, that's a nice example where, in attempting to flesh out the characters and figure out sort of how to portray not just portray them but portray the relationships and the events mm-hmm. around them, um, in sort of a you know a, a way that will be satisfying on the screen, you find that um, that there's layers to those characters that you hadn't previously noticed, um, mm-hmm. especially in the Silmarillion, where it's very easy to read these characters as kind of mythic and, dare I say, one-dimensional characters. So, um, and and I think you know, there's a little bit of it that's adaptation, but that's that's somewhat of is some of it is imaginative, where we're saying like, oh, let's, you know, we we would like to have some drama here, or um, the way it's portrayed in the book, um, sort of simplistically, doesn't make sense. But at, but as Nick pointed out. Oftentimes, the things that we're innovating on have are grounded in the actual, grounded in a close reading of the actual text. So, right. so yeah, I think the the Fingolfin um, uh, Fanor dynamic being a little more complicated than than one might get from a cursory reading of the text uh, is one of the really interesting examples and one of the ones that was very satisfying to to, to work on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because you're right. There's a lot of stuff that we're innovating, but it's not just about like let's make up a bunch of random stuff, right? It's not yeah. about like we need to jazz this plot up a little bit. Let's include a love interest. I know. Sandworms. <laughs> sandworms. Hey. Let's add sandworms. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And, you know, it's not about let's dig there around there was in the Bobway. <laughs> there was Bobway, but that was just a joke. He's not actually in the script. Um, First season? Uh, yeah, oh, that's no, we, no, we, did we didn't do sandworms. We we did have monsters, right? Because it does say there are yeah. monsters, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Didn't exp- we, had, we did have like squids and like all kinds of crazy things. So, because we because we didn't have orcs, right? We have a war, but no orcs, yeah. so we have to do something, right? But yeah. that's exactly that's exactly an illustration of what of what we we're just talking about, right? It's not about saying, "Hey, let's just make stuff up to jazz this up a little bit." It's given what the text says, what 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 would have to be in order to make that happen? Um, who are they fighting? Who's who's the war against? Um, and so we need to because there are no orcs, which is of course normally whom people are fighting against. Um, so anyway, okay, that's so that's been fun. You're yeah. gonna get to see how brilliant I am. Okay, ready? Excellent. Since I'm the last, I'm the last one. Well, what they all said, what everybody said, I totally agree with. See, so I get all of those. Plus, I get another one. Um, <laughs> one of the things that's been really, really fun for me is the bad guys. Because we stated very early on, it's like, this is not a black and white thing. We're yes. not going black and white. Melkor does not start out evil. 
Yes. Sauron does not start out evil. Yes. And so weaving that story and and tracking and tracing their falls in a way that's both believable and is good storytelling has been really interesting to me. And it, you know, it again, it goes in, you know, it makes us have to go deeper into the story. I mean, I don't think I'll ever now even read Lord of the Rings again without thinking in terms of what Sauron once was Yes. as a result of us doing this exercise. Yes. That was is, also on my list, Trish. <laughs> ah, okay. See, you and I, twins the, separated at birth. What can I tell yeah, you? All the all of the scenes with Myron have been fascinating. The, like, yes. They really have. Well, they really Myron, have. what's wait? What's Myron doing over in Middle Earth? While what would um, be his? What would he be thinking? Where? Yeah. You know, what's his yeah. motivation? What's his? Yeah, you know? He has to be doing something. He's there. He has to be thinking. Like something has to be happening. We have to come up with something. Um, yes. But what is it? And that's not yeah. covered in the text at all. Uh, and even Ungoliant. You know, we really developed Ungolian as a character uh, from two legs. Yeah. You know, I mean, in yeah. other words, like, well, where did she come from? Well, she must have been a Maya, right? And how would that have worked? And what would be her? So, yeah, it's been really, really fun that way. But all the other stuff everybody else said, too, has been pretty awesome. Well, yeah. and we've been contending with the whole issue of, like, death and it, with the elves, you know, and, and especially having oh yeah i've lost the last two last two episodes but the kin slaying you know and i know yes. we got into a lot of conversation about that and what would that be like and i think we really raised this issue of you know what as tolkien always kind of implied way different view of it from the elves because right. of the nat- their nature than man you know and it's been really right. it's been really interesting and nailing that down is actually really hard yeah, and it's not like yes. Tolkien provides a clear answer anyway <laughs> in the texts and his letters, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, that's that conversation is one of the things that I was really thinking about our kinslaying conversation. You know, so many things that you know, thinking about the like I, I you know, I've been thinking about the kinslaying entirely differently because I never asked the question. You know, okay, like yeah, given that it's sad and tragic and a really bad idea to have done, right? Um, but nevertheless, like, what is what was going on to the elves of the Kinslaying? Like, when an elf is standing over the dead body of his or her relative, what are they experiencing exactly? It's not, you know, we there there are several po- points in the text where if we assume that elves think the same way people do, you know, humans do, we're kind of pulled up short about that, right? It's not, it's different. And one of the fundamental things that Tolkien opened up in his, you know, in making his stories into fundamentally, there are other races as well, but basically a sort of a two-race question, right? Let's look at the mortals and let's look at the immortals. We have both the mortals and the immortals. What is this about their interactions, the way that they look at the world and how, you know, what would it mean to be immortal in the way that the elves are immortal, right? Which is a particular kind of immortality. Um, and I, I never applied that to the kinslaying. And I, and I realized as we were planning the kinslaying, the picture I always had in my head when I imagined the Teleri, uh, you know, at the kinslaying, you know, the, the living ones, not the dead ones, um, was basically them all, them all reacting like humans, right? Them all, you right. know, weeping and mourning uh, exactly like a human being might weep and mourn over their dead relatives. But death means something different to them. Um, different. So, yeah, so I totally didn't regret spending almost an entire episode talking about that and never getting to the episode we were supposed to be discussing. Because, yeah. Later in season 55, when we get to Baron and Luthien, and, you know, 
they have to contend with Luthien making her decision. Yes. That's going to be interesting. You know, like yes. we now have this, infor- you know, we've informed ourselves sort of so that that changes that whole thing for me too. Later Absolutely. On down the line. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. This, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to get their heads around it for a while, but anyway, yeah. we'll get to that in season 55. Yep, exactly. Exactly. That, uh, that, that, that conversation with the kinslaying is totally going to pay dividends when we get around to, oh, yeah. to Baron and Luthien yeah. at the end. And even, I mean, because, you know, we talked in that context also of, of the scene at the end of The Lord of the Rings, right? When, when El, you know, the big deal that the narrator makes of the parting between Elrond and Arwen, right? Um, and why that is such a big, you know, that that's, and, and that there's a sense in which that moment when, when, uh, when Elrond and Arwen say goodbye, you know, up in the hills, that's a bigger deal than the kinslaying. In right. in a very in a, in a very significant way, you know that 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 to Elrond, he's more upset, has more reason to be upset, um, than you know a a, a a random Teleri who is standing in the midst of 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 you know her slaughtered family. Um, but I'll tell you what else. Even before that, as I'm going to be really interested when we get to the part where Elros and Elrond have to make their choices. And what, yes. because Elrond's going to have experience. I assume that they, they're twins. I, I've always assumed yeah. they've been close. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't think Tolkien actually specifically says that. Right. But I assume they're close because they're twin brothers, right? And um, I've always wondered about that. You know, it's like, how did that affect Elrond? Of course, you know, I mean, I did a paper on, is there anybody sadder in Middle Earth than Elrond for all the losses <laughs> he sustained? Right. You know? Right. But uh, anyway, so yeah, so that'll be a little earlier than the uh, Arwen and Elrond. Yeah. You know, in Trish, the show. you would have uh, you would have liked the uh, the reading of the uh, pilot script then, because there actually is a scene in there with Elrond and Elros. Oh, awesome, awesome! Oh yeah, the Flashback. the the uh, pilot script uh, that we read. Yeah. At, cool. at Mythmoot, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Um, excellent. Okay. Um, Neat. Yeah. So no, it's, it has been, it has been a really fun process. And, um, you know, so I hope that, I mean, obviously there is, there's a lot of, um, you know, creative fun involved. It's been really cool the way that the community has really been growing, uh, and, and responding, seeing the work that, uh, visual artists and, uh, and, uh, composers and, and of course our script writing team and, uh, you know, lots of other people are doing, um, the pre-production and post-production episodes are, are always really fun as we're going through the, the concepts that people have come up with thinking about designs and, uh, and how this would work. Casting the casting amazing. discussion yep. has been has been very Score, interesting. Scores and soundtracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, all of these ways for and again, you know, in one way, you know, one of my goals for the Silm Film Project was just to, you know because I know one of the struggles that a lot of people have with the Silmarillion is just not being able to invest themselves, their imagination in it, right? To sort of, you know, the, 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 the reaction that so many people have that they read the Silmarillion and it, to them, it's just like a list of names. You know, it's like, this is just, you know, like something to memorize, not something to like lose yourself in. Um, so helping people to get into that process of, uh, um, of investing themselves imaginatively in the Silmarillion story um, was my was you know like my my initial goal to the whole thing, and it's gone so far beyond that. The level of engagement that people have been doing has yeah. been uh, has been really 
really wonderful. I love um, uh, the the scores. Philip Menzies' uh, uh, music that he's been composing. He's been uh, working on themes uh, for different uh, different concepts and different like you know different themes for the different Valar and uh, different like recurring themes that play when uh, you know when 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 a fall is going on or or something like that. It's it's been really neat to see him. He even did Bobway's theme. Yeah, he did do Bobway's theme. <laughs> right. So if you're wondering who Bobway is, Bobway is an inside joke. It's an inside joke from the beginning of season two, actually. So, uh, 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 yeah. yeah. Don't let Corey mislead you. He's a central character. The central character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, he got lost, right? Because what it was, was we were talking about the three elf emissaries that go over to Valinor. And Dave said, you know, we ought to have a red shirt elf. <laughs> Right. with them that gets lost and i said yeah he'd be bob way and i just it grew legs what can i tell you yeah it just grew legs and so ever since then so actually um i created an elf in lotro named bob, <laughs> named way. bob way yeah and phil phil wrote the theme for bob way and made it into an abc file so i could play it and one night when we were doing a kinship thing and Corey was on weekends you know like we were, and i just walked out as bob way, as started, bob playing way and started playing the song <laughs> And he's wearing red, of course. Yes, so, exactly. But now, now the poor guy is my storage elf, so he just basically stays at the house and handles all the storage stuff I send him, so yeah. poor guy. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but I was going to say, you know, for anybody who's listening or to the, watching this, listening to this now or later, and it's like, oh, Silmarillion, geez, you know, I don't know. Um, to, I have a few things to say to that. One is... If you start with this film, film film project, you're safe because what we didn't go through all the way through chapter one for what a season and a half. Yeah, we spent uh, we spent <laughs> almost mean, we a season spent, on the first chapter. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. our whole first season deals with very like only the first few pages, basically the Silmarillion. So you can go really super slow, um, and then it's also I think really interesting. But the other is a Silmarillion seminar that that Corey mentioned, which which is invaluable. Um, I think for anybody that seriously wants to read the Silmarillion, because you're talking about not just Corey who knows the Silmarillion, but folks who are studying sort of along with you, if you will, yeah. you know, and yeah. asking questions that you would ask. The other one is if you're just interested in like the artwork Corey's talking about and the conversations and stuff is go to the um, forum. You don't have to even watch the show or listen to the show. Silmfilm.mythguard.org. Is it Mythguard, right? Still Silmfilm.mythguard.org is the forum. And, it's all there. I mean, the whole community is there and it's great. Yeah. 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 No, the, the forums are really the heart of the Silmarillion film project where, you know, we, we, we do our, our shows, our, our biweekly shows talking our way through things, but, but the, the real work is all happening, uh, on the discussion forums. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where you can, you can that, join in and that's participate. That's true. Yeah, that is where all the work is happening. Executive producer, so we just get to sit. You know, we stay at high level. We veto. (laughs) We take credit. Yeah, take credit. Take credit. Make their lives harder. Yeah, go ahead. It's really neat that it is such a collaborative project that people can throw in their two cents and come up with ideas of how to address certain challenges in the story. Yeah, because expecting one person to solve all the creative issues is a little bit much. So Mm -hmm. definitely, (laughs) Right. right, right. Yeah, we have, and I mean, we're talking folks all over the world too. Yeah. You know, that are weighing in on this, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah, and I remember Corey, you saying that when we first started this out, you were hoping that this is what would happen, and look at, and here we are. Here we are. Look at that. Here Absolutely. He's regretted those Job words ever since. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. Very good. So yeah, we're 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 projecting forward to at least twenty seasons at this point. At least twenty seasons <laughs> to get to the end of the Lord of the Rings. I think to go from the Isle of Lindelay to 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 the Grey Havens. Basically, that's maybe more. Yeah. But uh, and then the the spinoffs of the Sons of Durin and the yeah. House of Aeorl are you know that's right that's yeah. right and the, the further adventures of Aragorn and Eomir as they go clean up Middle Earth <laughs> yeah, that's right after absolutely that's right uh. <laughs> cool well, one of the things that's been the most interesting for me and Wally! the point <laughs> I got I got completely distracted <laughs> <laughs> there was a um. There was a point at which, and I don't know exactly when it happened, but there was a point where I started to feel comfortable inventing material. Like, not, I mean, because obviously it's all based in in the lore and, and where Tolkien's going with all this thing. But every once in a while, there's a there's a scene that you need, or so, like the, the right. scene that I was talking about between Elrond and Elros, there's no description of that scene anywhere in any book right. ever. Mm-hmm. But they had to have had a discussion at some right. point. Yeah, yeah. About what about what's going on and who's doing what, and so it's it was a little daunting at first, but the idea of okay, he yeah. did at some point say that he wanted that. At some point, he said that he wanted people to invest enough artistically mm-hmm. in the world that he was creating to write stories and make music and draw painting, you know, and do all well, of that. Well, that was before stuff. he, that was before he read the Zimmerman script. But, you know, at, at some point, <laughs> this was something that he desired. And so, I know, I had um, noticed that too early on in my studies, was that he said that, and I think he meant it back in the day, you know, because he yeah. had a very lofty idea of, of, you know, what people would do with his story, and I think he was yeah. right, in one respect, Yeah. but unfortunately yeah. he ended up having some bad experiences with, well, you know. Well, he did everything else he ever made contact with, so, you know, I, I think it sounds fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, the, like, the, the subplot with Manway, when, and I learned a lot about the character of Manway from that little diversion of Manway going to meet with Melkor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Essentially the Nixon goes to China moment, right? Right, mm-hmm. right. And mm-hmm. now there was nothing, that like none of that's in the book. But when, I, when the suggestion first came up and I started looking through the text and looking at Manway's interactions with everybody all the way through, of course he would do that. Like, it makes perfect sense. And yeah, all of a sudden, absolutely. I to see Manway as King of Arda in a completely different way than yeah. I had before. Yeah, absolutely. The fleshing out of some of those characters, thinking through exactly that kind of situation. Like, given what he says and does in other places, he would have done something like this, right? And that's, you know, when your innovation is going in directions like that... Um, it uh, it really makes the whole adaptation undertaking really satisfying. Um, I'm sorry, but this little hobbit over here is Teresa off camera making him smile. <laughs> no, that's just him. It's just Tim. I think I think he likes seeing himself on the webcam. <laughs> so he, he was he was smiling at himself. Yeah, that's that's that would have been just like mine as well. Yeah. Also, one of his favorite things to do is to play with the keyboard. So aha, uh-huh, yes. Uh, that's really trying to keep him from hitting. Uh, Apple Q. <laughs> oh, yes. yeah. No That's kidding. Right. <laughs> awesome. Hi, Wally. Good to see Hi, you, Wally. Wally. That's right. 
Yeah, so the Silmarillion yeah, film project is... Will be, this podcast will still be going on when uh, uh, Corey's kids college. and my kids are like uh, in their like middle age. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you'll, you'll be holding your grandson you know, <laughs> in a future Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very good. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for joining me. I need to, we need to, we got a, I got a whole bunch of other things to do. Great talking with you guys. Um, You guys, you, you guys in particular will be shocked to hear that I've been actually kind of running on schedule so far today. So uh, I can't believe it. I was pretty amazed actually. Yeah. When I got on, it's like, oh, he's about ready to wind up. That's pretty awesome. I mean, I think you're 20 minutes behind, but all things. Maybe that means maybe it's us, Dave. It could be us. It could be you. (laughs) He was on schedule for the one immediately before this. Exactly. See, I wasn't going to point that out, Uh, but yeah, I was spot on. I was three minutes early for the previous segment in fact i'm just you know yeah that's that's the fact i'm, I'm gonna blame the little girl <laughs> there you hey. go there you go <laughs> did you happen to mention i had asked this before did, did you happen to mention to her that we there was a moment in the film film project specifically geared to answer one of her questions from last time oh wait which one? Oh no i i i, I forgot about that which which the, the, which... the crossing the ring rates crossing the river question oh yes yes why they're afraid of water, and we we found a way to answer that question. That <laughs> question specifically inspired something in the Simpsons project. Right, right, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I did forget about that. Yeah, but that's right. We should. I should. Uh, I should bring that up. Did, she get a special guest appearance on Silmarillion film project? Hey, there we go. She's about ready. You know, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, she's. Uh, she's about ready for that. And Dave, I was wondering how long it would take before he started yanking your earbuds out. That seemed. Uh, I was thinking the same. The depth of his passion for the keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Okay. Uh, Very good. So thanks everybody for joining me. And I encourage people to join us on the Silm Film Project. We we broadcast every other week, more or less, on Fridays. Um, So Friday mornings at 10 a.m. is when we broadcast live. Um, And uh, we're going to be... This coming one. Yeah, this coming one. So we just did one yesterday, but that was a makeup. So we're doing one again back on our regular two-week schedule starting next Friday, the 20th. um, When we are actually going to do episode three of season three and start talking about the Balerian story, what Thingol and Melian are doing, and how we get uh, to the, the raising of the girdle of Melian and and uh, and how all that stuff is going to happen and treat we're gonna have, we're gonna have Ent battles and all kinds of things going on the the beginning of the Ent orc feud will be occurring not in episode three but soon thereafter so uh, definitely uh, yeah yeah just a few episodes down the road so definitely feel free to join us for that and thanks everybody for being with us today Wally is sad to go which is really which is too bad yeah I'm sorry we know buddy but. Uh, we can't keep the Tolkien professor off schedule. He's got to get back on schedule. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bet. Take care.